five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA, the International Society for Strategic Marketing. And here we go. Let's get over to the news. Okay, spending on real life media bucks metaverse hype. Of course, you know, marketing is always hype about the next thing. But what this graph shows is that this is all media spending and this is out of home media spending, which is mainly outdoor, but in cinema and some other things. And what you see is that in 2020, the out of home took a drop. There's actually, you know, it was a little lower than than the general trend in the media. But now with people getting out of their houses, it's actually a little bit above all media spend. So it's beaten it by a little bit. And the point is that advertisers and uh, and ad agencies are willing to engage with consumers outside their homes, not just on their VR. <clears throat> Here's another interesting article. It turns out VR can get a little too immersive, resulting in accidents and an increase in insurance claims and injuries. <laughs> I highly recommend you sit down and stay seated for the entire performance. Um, players are still firmly planted in the in the physical world, no matter how immersive it gets. And when you forget that, you break stuff. <clears throat> so insurance claims that man that mentioned VR headsets jumped 31% in 2021. That's a big, huge jump, right? Yeah, okay. That's like from 75 to 100. That's a 30%, 33% increase. Okay, since 2016, claims are up 68%, with an average claim coming in at about $880. Some examples are a broken TV from a gamer throwing a remote after being frightened by a zombie. I've never had anything quite that immersive in my experience, but... Broken designer figurines from a gamer swiping them off a mantelpiece. Again, stay seated. Um, there's a subreddit, in case you have been injured somehow, uh, called VR to ER, which I know is a great term, <laughs> that collects injuries from VR game games, counting 83,000 members and a long list of injuries. Well, why does this matter? Because... Um, <clears throat> VR games aren't going away. Be safe out there. And uh, NZ Capital argue Brad Singler, Singlerland, Slingerland, Slingerland, there you go, argues that augmented reality is a better option for advertisers, at least, <clears throat> for almost every kind of app. In other words, it sort of floats on the screen, like if you played the um, Pokemon Go game, which of course I did, you know, the Pokemans were around in in the real world, and you look at that. So you still had some concept of where you were, and it wasn't on your head either. Um, <clears throat> so, and um, Akia did immersive, or did AR, uh, where you could take a piece of furniture and basically then place it in your home. I don't know how well it worked. The videos of it working looked great. Um there are studies that suggest that if you can put yourself, if you can see yourself owning something, it's it's a, a really big indicator of buying it. I don't know if it's causal. That's a little too hard to say. 
Okay, this is kind of a puff piece <clears throat> about Barry Gabster, probably from his own PR. But anyway, it was fun because it was about mail. And uh, it's interesting that it's in the LA Times or the LA Weekly. LA Weekly. Or it looks like Law Eeky. <laughs> anyway, they should do some capitalization in there. Barry Gabster, founder and CEO of Initiate You. That's a pretty good name. Went from 800,000 to 8.5 million in 2021. <clears throat> it's 1,000% growth, 10 times growth. In fact, all of his growth is credited to organic marketing efforts and word of mouth advertising. Well, that's growth of his own agency. <clears throat> but what was he doing for people? <clears throat> he spent eight years in a direct mail agency. Way to go. Way to go, Barry. And decided to make his move and launched Initiate You. When I broke away, I got new energy. There's always a problem to fix. I think that's a really good theme. In 2020, Gabster already had found a way to navigate around it and meet company and meet his needs. Mortgage lenders during this time of unrest began spending money on mailers like never before. Okay, so if you're a printer, you know, go find some banks and mortgage lenders. Uh, you know, those things come and go. It may not be what's happening right now, but the real estate market was absolutely booming. I think it's now still pretty good. Um, with home buyers and sellers looking to make their way out of big cities. Right. Yeah, the land values in my neighborhood went up a lot. <clears throat> and Gapster's mailers were at the forefront. So they distributed 45, uh, about a half a million mailers to clients each week making for almost $2 million per month. And, of course, LA Weekly thinks this is a lot, but, you know, when we modeled Cabela's, it was roughly $5 million just of the customer file without the prospecting. Um, in Fisherman did about that, also $2 million a month, uh, mostly in prospecting. <clears throat> okay, so in 2020, direct mailers saw the highest average responses, response rates it had seen since 2003. You know, and I always question average responses, but here's some of the clients, Amerisave Mortgage, SunWest Mortgage, Mutual of Omaha Mortgage, and many others, which, of course, we all know that one because we used to watch Wild Kingdom every Saturday. <clears throat> I know how to make the phone ring, said Barry. This is who I am in my DNA. Sounds like Andrew Ettinger. Okay, so anyway, that was a fun piece. Now I want to get over some thoughtful writing. Uh, marketers snack on pretzel logic instead of baking fresh donuts. We all like fresh donuts. And this is actually an excellent article about sort of the, you know, the big theories of marketing. <clears throat> the stuff that Ritson gets into. I got two, two, two Mark Ritson articles in the can I got to get to. But this one was shorter, so it's a little easier to digest, as is a donut. Okay, so anyway, there's a picture of pretzel. And this is an economic... Uh, donut, and um, we'll talk about that at the end. It's got it's got ecological climate things around here. My my only my my comment is on one hand positive that economics and marketing can help address ecological challenges. My biggest criticism would be that those are not necessarily challenges we can tackle. We can, however, tackle, for example, ethanol subsidizing corn, increasing the fertilization, 
we pour a lot of fertilizer to get corn to grow in places it maybe shouldn't and then it runs down the rivers and kills the gulf of mexico that's something that mankind could do something about and yet that one was implemented by the environmentalists so you know sometimes you're tilting at the wrong windows <laughs> wrong windmills okay so um apparently there john evans has a podcast uncensored cmo and he had on there professor byron sharp who's the author of how brands grow and is also uh heading up the um heading up the Ehrenberg bass institute which mark ritson likes a lot okay and they've tackled some things like brand purpose and and basically boil marketing down to um a numbers game you know if you advertise more than your competitors then your market share will increase but if your competitors are big then like the energy with the energizer bunny versus duracell the bigger of the two and i always forget which is which and it may not even be and it, <laughs> that 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 when duracell advertises they think it's the duracell bunny and they get all mixed up consumers in their brain don't really remember very well and so if you're big you can spend half as much as your market share to maintain your market share. Whereas if you're small, you have to spend at least as much as your market share to maintain your market share. Now, I've seen a lot of alternative theories, and, and that's really the point that Stuart Pearson is making. Like Tesla doesn't do much traditional advertising at all, leaning, leaving it up to Elon Musk, who I saw was, was being investigated for insider trading. I don't know how you could get together at a coffee at a coffee shop with you know these billionaires and not basically trade a little a little bit of insight insight into what's going to be big and what isn't or at least fight about it now and that usually is classified as insider trading but they only go after the people they want like like <laughs> like the cooking show hosts anyway David so. Uh, Ehrenberg Bass kind of gets away from David Ogilvy and Lester Wonderman, who have theories about breaking through what it means to be creative and and measurement and response. Those are two direct marketing guys. Those are my best my best mentor uh, uh, heroes in the in the ad business. That made me feel like I could do something, <laughs> save the world in advertising. And so if these are in opposition, then I probably lean in toward less wonderment because <laughs> the DMA had me speak opposite less wonderment one time, <laughs> the last session of the catalog age, right after lunch of the catalog conference. And uh, I got like 20 people in the room. <laughs> I said to him later, why did you put me up against? Oh, and Jules Sugarman, you know, the, 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 the Seinfeld guy, <laughs> the real guy. So there were three sessions after lunch. <laughs> Les Wonderman, Jules Sugarman, and me. And I said, what the heck are you doing putting me up against those guys? And they said, well, you're one of our highest rated speakers. Uh, you know, we thought maybe people would stay for after lunch if we had some good speakers. <laughs> I had like 20 people, you know. But one of them was Jack Miller, founder of Quill Corporation, and we had a great time. And we went on to develop a session showing the measurement and and how you could tell what was going on uh with computers in marketing at the next dma at the big fall session 
and it was the number one rated session out of all of them at the, uh, you know, probably 1997 DMA or something. <clears throat> anyway, so this is, a, this is a thoughtful article. I like it. And he says, you know, Ehrenberg Bass gets, throws out positioning, differentiation, and loyalty, and uh, just reduces it all to penetration and building mental and physical availability, which are big things too. You know, probably the reality is somewhere in the middle, right? Oh, and what's the deal with pretzel logic? Well, a pretzel is circular, has big holes, twists in on itself, just like faulty reasoning. But here's the issue. And I was going to bring one of my slides up because I have a slide on this. But the issue in, in marketing is you're trying to guess the future, trying to guess the next hype. You're trying to get the, guess the next trend. You're trying to guess where retail is going to go next. You're trying to guess where, you know, we went, we, all of a sudden, bang, instantly, everything changed. All of our analytics from years of, of, of machine learning with one of America's, actually, America's oldest catalog company. It is the oldest catalog company, still doing well. Uh, you know, we were modeling them. They did great. They were doing super great. That's a good time to fire your modeler. But anyway, they did super great. And we spent a lot of time trying to figure out if the buyers were, there, you know, were the same kind of people. They had a big boost in uh, online visits. Uh, to their website, and there seemed to be some difference. But, you know, in a lot of cases, it was buyers coming back. And so, I mean, you know, it's nothing, there's no big surprise here. Anyway, so how does the past map onto the future? Marketing is always asking that question. And the scientific method maps the past data to the future by repeated testing, by testing hypotheses by observation and testing hypotheses, and then giving explanation for what actually happens in the experiment. And so there's this tr attempt at isolating causal variables, at getting a tight connection between the past and the future, past, future. And then when that plays out enough times and is repeated by other scientists around the world, when we see that connection being consistent that builds theory okay that builds theory and once you get to theory then you can project from the past to the future okay but in marketing we almost never do that we almost always go and say let's try this meantime the world is changing you know, let's see what happened. And maybe you got a big boost. Like Aaron Bass say, uh, Aaron Bass say that Apple's quite interesting and their success and they had fallen into their lap. And that may be the case. You know, you, do, you launch an ad campaign and um, I'm trying to think of, <laughs> of silly exponential growth like John Daly when the when the Winter Olympics played a few years ago the US Olympic team decided that they would buy some John Daly silly pants John Daly was famous for wearing loud let's say ugly but very very outlandish and 
and visible pants. And so the, the, the curling club decided that they wanted to stand out in the Olympics. And so in addition to their jerseys, their official USA jerseys, they made the team uniform John Daly pants. Well, John Daly's sales went through the roof. Now, the only, the only caveat is, you know, you can't count on that regularly. So oftentimes it's hard to tell your marketing from your uh, accidental success. There's a great book called Accidental Empires. It's on my bookshelf behind me. And uh, it's about the, the PC industry and how it got going and the accidents that happened to give Bill Gates uh, an advantage. Although there's always a lot of preparation too. So since we don't know the future and since all data is historical, the only way to the only way to consistently move from the data and the observation to the future is by isolating causal variables in field valid experimentation. That's the essence of direct marketing. If you want to know about direct marketing, go down and join WDMA. We talk about it all the time. Then there's some, there's some member only actual seminars and things um, that, are, that are posted there that give you a real insight into how to do testing. Although, as I, when I spoke to the DMA, this was in 87, right after the market had crashed, uh, <laughs> like the week after, everybody was worried about going to a convention and losing their jobs. But in that session, I argued that the good tests are not the trivial, where there's no marked difference between packages and between what you're doing. And they're also not the obvious things that you should fix. Like, is there a response device? You might want to test different kinds of response devices, but your own testing history can narrow that gap and tell you where to test. So it's not something that, you know, you can just write a book about or, or you know, say, well, you always test your list first. I've seen creative tests increase response by 40%. I've seen paper increase response by 20%. So sometimes the big tests are things that you, you wouldn't expect. So you've got to test a lot of things and best to find someone uh, that, like Barry found, you know, he worked eight years in a direct agency. Find someone that knows what they're doing, okay? Now, what about the, that donut? Well, that donut is from um, Professor Kate Raworth, and she decided that economics didn't have enough um, social issues in it, which may be true. Um, I would pick different social issues, more tangible, like the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but, you know, to each our own, right? Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart.